All right, pray with me. To be like you, Jesus, um, would you help? Would you help us be like you? I pray that you'd send your spirit to, um, to tell us, to, to teach us, to soften our hearts and minds what it might be like to be like you, give us a vision for it. A belief that it might actually be possible to live like a son or a daughter of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm getting a little bit of uh, <clears throat> feedback, so if it uh, keeps going, I'll just start yelling. I'm gonna take this off. Okay, um, hey, my name is Jason. Uh, I work here, um, and uh, if this is your first time here, thanks for coming. Uh, this is an incredible opportunity and honor to get to uh, be with you every week and talk about Jesus, praise God with you, uh, teach from the scriptures. Um, uh, we are in the fourth week of a sermon series looking at uh, the book of 1 John. It was a letter uh, written by a guy, I don't know why we call it a book, it's really a letter, but whatever. Uh, it was written by a guy named John to probably a church in Ephesus. Um, we're in our fourth week, and I gotta tell you, I have, um, for the past couple of months, I've been looking forward to this series, and the reason why um, we've planned this series and wanted to talk about it is to address areas of confidence in our faith. Like, like what are these places in our lives where it's hard for us to trust in who, in who God is, um, in, in, who, in what Je who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, what he will do for us. Uh, and, and so the first week we looked at um, that, that the substance of the Christian faith is, is not inside of a Christian, it's outside, it's in Jesus. If you wanna know if Christianity is true or false, Jesus. You don't have to look inside my mind and the mess of my heart and the daily ups and downs of my emotions and seasons and that sort of thing. I, I'm going to tell you, no, 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 my hope is in Jesus. It's not in my mind or in my emotions or anything. It's actually that Jesus is who he said he is. That's the substance of, of our faith as Christians is in him. And we talked in the next week about, about how great the love of God is for us. Christians do not just proclaim that we know God. It's way more preposterous than that. We actually claim that we are adopted children of his. That I get, to, I get to call, that if you are in Christ, you get to call the creator of the universe, the one who right now in this very moment is sustaining the molecules of your body, keeping things from imploding or exploding. exploding. He's sustaining all of this stuff by the very word of his power, that God I get to call dad because I'm a Christian, because of Jesus. Nothing I've earned or done. He created me and he loves me. He created you and loves you too. And, he, and you get to call him father in Christ. We talked about that. Last week we talked about the importance for Christians in loving each other and how God actually intended for the love between Christians to be the primary witness to the world of their discipleship to him and of the fact that God actually sent his son on, for, for them on their behalf. The way we love each other, the way we have, it's what Christians call fellowship. The way we have fellowship together is so vitally important. You are not called to live your faith alone. The metaphor that drives the, the whole narrative of scripture is Christ the groom and his bride the church. You are not the bride of Christ. All of God's people together are, and we're gonna live forever. So you might as well learn to like each other now. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. We talked about that last week. And tonight, uh, or, or next, I should let me say next week first. Next week, um, it, we're gonna finish up this series. Don't miss it. It's, it's gonna be great. Um, so come next week as we wrap up this series on First John. But, but tonight, what we're talking about um, is the topic of obedience. 
And I'm really excited to talk about obedience and commandments. I sort of uh, geek out and talking about it because it changed my life. I remember um, years ago <coughs> uh, reading, uh, reading a book, basically from uh, reading a, a chapter of a book from this guy who said, uh, essentially just asked me, have I ever actually intended to follow Jesus? And I went, Oof. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, lo- I think I love him. I think I believe that he is who he says he is. But when have I taken seriously his call to actually obey him? If you love me, Jesus says, obey me. He's actually called me to to follow him as teacher and Lord and King, not just intellectually acknowledge him as the savior of my life or something like this, but then I go about my business hoping, hoping that I get in when the day comes, whatever that means. But he's actually called us to obedience. And I'm really excited to talk about it, but I, I think given um, the, the stories that I've heard of people's lives in this room and the way seasons sort of affect us and stuff like that, I think I've been, um, I've been taking my foot off the pedal a little bit as I've come closer to this night. I was gonna talk about this one verse in 1 John. Oh gosh, you're gonna probably thank me for this. Uh, that, that says, um, if you say you love God and don't keep his commandments, then you're a liar and the truth of God is not in you. Uh, that was gonna be the, the, the verse. Uh, instead, it's a different one. <laughs> um, and, and I think, well, let me, let's just put it up and I'll show you why, okay? Will you put that first one up from First John for me, please? So this is what John says near the end of his letter. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Do you say that you love God? Do you say that you love God? Do you want to love God? Is this something you're trying to do? What does it mean to love Jesus? What is it, what, what, those kinds of things? Keep his commandments. And John, if you've been with me and here, you, you know what his commandments are. Love God, love others. It says it multiple times. And his commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray. Let's pray as we talk about it. Father, would you help us to believe this is true? Again, I pray that you'd call us to actual obedience, that, that every person in this room would, 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 would come up against the truth that you love them, and that that would stir in the hearts and minds of my friends in this room a love for your son. And that all of us would just would see the natural response, the logic even, and if, if we love Jesus, why do we not do what he says? And as I preach from your word and I talk about different things you have done in history, Father, would you uh, please help me to stay true to your word? Keep me from heresy. Preach through my sin and all these other things. I'm thankful, God, that you would use me, even someone like me, to preach your word. May you call people to yourself tonight through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This stuck out to me because I read this, this verse for I don't know how many times. I've been reading it for a month or two now, uh, quite a bit. And I thought, his commandments seem burdensome to me often. Like this, this jumped out at me as a bit of a surprise because how many of us here, when we hear words like obey or obedience or commands, we go, <sighs> that's easy. You know, we don't do that. We, we, we hear obe- obedience or obey or commands or commandments or something, and it sounds stiff and tight and like I've failed already and I don't even know what you're talking about. Those kinds of things, right? They seem, they seem heavy. Why does it feel that way? 
Why does it come off for some of us? Now, I'm making an assumption, uh, and for those of you that, that don't think his commandments are burdensome, please just pray for everybody else in the room. Thank you. I'm talking to everybody else now. Uh, so, uh, Daniel, if you could put up um, the, the passage from Matthew, I, I want to read something that I think may, maybe we can, maybe we think about stuff like this uh, from Matthew uh, chapter 5, and, and we, we hear this, and we're like, well, this is why I think his commandments are burdensome, okay? So this is from the Sermon on the Mount. I've referenced it a couple times in this sermon series. Uh, Jesus is saying this um, in the middle of, of his most um, lengthy, uh, complete sermon that we have um, in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. These are the words of Jesus, of Jesus calling, of, of personal Savior Jesus, of, you know, Savior in my pocket Jesus. He talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. Very intense. Um, he says more. So if you are offering, this is huge. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're, if you're, if you're going to present something before God, if you are doing, I, I think about this all the time when I just go to the Lord in prayer. If you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, it doesn't say you've actually wronged your brother or your sister, just they have something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. I read this stuff, y'all, it's like, I go, to, I go to the Lord in prayer and I'm, I'm about to pray and I'm mindful of the fact that somebody has something against me. And immediately my mind goes, well, I didn't do anything wrong or something like this. And the words of Jesus go, go, go reconcile with them. You can sit here and you can pray for reconciliation. I've told you what you're supposed to do. I've answered you already. Go, go reconcile with them. And if I harbor anger in my heart against my brother, I'm, I'm liable for judgment. If in my heart and in my mind, I see something my brother or sister does and I say, you idiot, you fool. I'm liable for the fires of hell, Jesus says. Super intense, right? When I, when I read, when I read um, John say that his commandments are not burdensome, this is the kind of stuff that came to my mind. And once upon a time, Jesus, you, you, you sort of gave us a list of 10 things and a bunch of other things that dealt with stuff that nobody cares about today or something. But there's about 10 things. And one of them said, don't murder. And I haven't murdered. Maybe some of us have. Yes, people in the world have. And maybe we read that and we think I have actually broken that command, but many of us will look at certain commandments of God and we'll say, I haven't done that, I'm fine. And Jesus doesn't seem to lighten the load in Matthew 5, right? He seems to take it deeper and take it further and make it more burdensome, not less burdensome. Isn't that more of a burden? I wanna to submit to you that it's not. Jesus is, is, is not coming against his own commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming against the misuse of them. He's not coming against the commandment, do not murder, because when he said it the first time, he didn't say it right. He's revealing something that's going on in people who are using his commands for a totally different purpose than why he gave them. He's coming against self-righteousness and acts of love without love. You, me, who are in this room, who think we are more righteous than somebody else, because we don't cuss, or because we do, and we have freedom in Christ, or because we smoke or we don't smoke, 
or because we haven't had sex or because we did and I no longer want to or because I don't watch Game of Thrones or because I can and I don't feel like I'm not gonna go kill somebody or have sex with everybody that walks down the street because of it or whatever you're thinking, because I go to this church and not that church because I read this book and not that book because I can roll my eyes at the authors that you read because when you read certain, because, because of spiritual gift hierarchies that you and I have, those of us that are, that are using the ideas of God's kingdom, ways of life that he has projected, and I'm using it to establish myself over somebody else, Jesus would say, take the log out of your own eye before you point to the speck in your brother or sister's. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming against the misuse of his commandments, this idea that, that, that we could use his commands to establish ourselves over and against another. Jesus would have his people love. Jesus would have his people come under others, not establish themselves over others. If the commands of God are burdensome for us, I think I want to suggest that there's two reasons why it might be the case. The first is that we're trying to build a kingdom where we are trying to establish ourselves. That might be one reason why the commandments of God are burdensome for us. Because if I'm trying to establish a kingdom that is building me up, Jesus' command to love God, to first of all recognize that I'm under somebody else more powerful than I, and then I'm supposed to love others to come under and serve them, well, that undermines my attempts to get you to love me. <laughs> if God's commands are, I'm supposed to love you, well, how then what I end up really is trying to figure out how to love you in order to get you to love me, which doesn't work well in God's kingdom. If you're trying to use the commands of God to establish yourself, I, I, I promise you his commands will be burdensome for you. And to you, I really have not much to say except for I hope you choose a new king and a new kingdom soon. I really do. I, God has given you so much dignity by lifting up your choice and not making it for you. You can choose him or not. You can choose a kingdom full of loving God and loving others, or you can choose a kingdom where you're trying to get everybody else to bow down to you. You have that before you. I, don't, I can't tell you anything else other than that. I hope you choose Jesus and his kingdom. But I think there's another reason why, why for many of us, the, the commandments of God are burdensome, and I think it's because we don't trust him. We don't trust him when we haven't tried it because of that. And for you, I'm hoping to spend a little bit of time telling you why his commandments don't need to be burdensome and why, quite frankly, I think they're the opposite. I think they bring about in our lives freedom and abundant life. So in order to do that, I want to talk to you about a couple different places where, where God has given commands, and I want us to look at it together. So the first thing that comes to my mind, and it's right out of the opening pages of the scripture, are when God gives commands to Adam and Eve in the garden. Anybody know what God said when he made mankind when he made humankind what did God say anybody know it is very good it is very good of all the other things that God made in Genesis what we find is that God says when he makes humankind it is good and of all the things that he made he made man and woman male and female together in the image of God in his likeness and in that, in the goodness of creation, in the very goodness of humankind, in the unbelievable kind of dignity that he gave humanity to make them like him, he gives them commands. And I want to ask you, as I tell you what the commands are, I want to ask, do you think Adam and Eve 
would have found these to be burdensome. Be fruitful and multiply. First of all, so I'm standing here next to this naked girl. Uh, neither one of us feel ashamed, and we got a whole planet. And God says, be fruitful and multiply. Do you think that would have been burdensome? I don't think so. I, don't, I really don't. I mean, I, don't, I think they would have thought, this is very good. Like, we are supposed to be fruitful and multiply. That's what we're supposed to do. That means take what God gave us and make more of it. Literally, that's what it means. Like, take the beauty that God made and make things more beautiful. Have sex. Make kids. I am, God is saying, I am making people like me, and I am going to do something incredible in my creation. I'm going to give them the ability to make things like them. It's crazy. This is a command he gave them, be fruitful and multiply. What's the other thing he said? He said, I want you to have dominion over all the earth. I want you to steward it. You don't own it. You don't control it. I am God. I created it. I want you to steward it. I made it beautiful. Make it more beautiful. How long, I mean, maybe you do. I don't hear that in the pages of Genesis 1 and 2. There's another time where God sort of gives this command to sort of tend the garden and take care of it. If some of you are familiar with the, with the one don't do, it's couched in this huge thing. And one command I'm going to give you, Adam and Eve, by the way, eat from anything you want. Just don't eat from that one tree over there. The whole earth, eat, take anything else you want. I don't think the commands that God gave, they would have interpreted as, golly, these are so burdensome. And if he didn't give them commands, what would it have been like? to be created and stand there naked for a second while you're looking at this huge planet and going, what am I supposed to do? And then, of course, God does give commands, and I think, I think, I, th I imagine what Adam and Eve would have heard is purpose, vision. This is what we are supposed to do. This is what it means to live. This is what it looks like to unfold meaning in our existence in this creation. You have a hard time believing they would have heard it as burdensome. I actually think they would have heard God's commands in the garden to be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over all the earth, eat of all this stuff. I think they would have heard that as God giving them a way of life in the new creation that they've just found. Their eyes were opened, and what do we do now in new bodies, in a new earth? What do we do? And God says, here's the way of life I'm unfolding before you. I'm going to reference that again, but let me, let me move on to probably a more popular thing. Will you put up this passage from Exodus? It's a couple of verses for me, buddy. Thanks. So most of you are probably more familiar with commandments by thinking about the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, um, as the people of Israel are standing at Mount Sinai, God says this. He says uh, to Moses, through Moses, to the people, actually, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me, dot, dot, dot. You shall have no graven images. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath. You shall actually work for six days and, and labor for one and set that aside. You shall honor your father and your mother. You keep going, right? And these, these are the commandments. It starts with, you shall have no other gods before me. You familiar with this? this is the, these are the commandments. I want you to think for a minute about what just had happened in the life of the people of Israel. They had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt. 400. That's older than America, I think. I don't know. That's not my area of expertise. No, 1776. Yeah, that's older than America. I know things. Uh, 
400 years. Can you imagine if God, God, came, uh, God comes in and he, he rescues you from America and says, you're not American, you're somebody else. What would you do? I mean, this is the only country you've grown up in for most of you. Like these were people that they had been Israelite Hebrew slaves in Egypt, yes, but they had grown up in Egypt and their their parents did and their grandparents did and their great-grandparents did. Originally, there was 72 that came into Egypt and now there's potentially millions. That's how long this has taken and God took them out of the only land that they knew. But first, they were slaves and now they're free, which sounds great, Right? Except I know, I know, I hear these stories a ton that like for incoming freshmen in college, the freedom to make so many decisions is often paralyzing. And in some ways, I actually want to be told what to do. I want to know what the right answer is because freedom with no direction is sometimes paralyzing for me. They were once enslaved and golly, we've got to celebrate their freedom, but now what, right? Right? They, they, they had their old way of life, the norms, the food, the customs, the music, the rules that kept them alive. Now they're standing in the wilderness below a mountain with people they probably haven't lived just next door to their whole life. They don't, they're getting food magically from heaven on the ground. And they have no, there's no political structure anymore. There's, there's no laws for life. There's no, uh, who do we report to? What's the hierarchy here? What do we do with our kids in schools if there even were such things? Do we, we can't build houses while we're on the run. What, 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 what is life supposed to look like now? As they're standing below Mount Sinai, I want to point a couple things out to you. Number one, when God gives them these commands, I don't think they would have received them as huge burdens. They had just left an old life and now they're sitting in a new existence with no clue about what to do. And when he starts to say, here's what I want, I imagine they're all going like this. This is one of the reasons why if you read, if you read through the first five books of the Bible, specifically uh, two, three, four, and five, what you'll see is some laws that for some of us in our context we get bored with. For them... When God starts to say, and hey, this tribe, I want you to have this land, and here's how far it stretches, and here's what I want you to do in that land, they're riveted. Because they had just left the only life they knew, and they don't know what's in front of them. And here, the God of all creation, who has just demonstrated unbelievable power in front of them, has says, look, I got a plan for you. Here's the things, I, here's what I want life to look like. Here's, here's the, the way things are gonna look in your in." in I want to kind of get into all the goodness of those laws, but I don't have time tonight. Okay, so lots of stuff about all that. And they're hearing this going, this is a new way of life that God is unfolding in front of us, like Adam and Eve. God's commands in this case are are for a brand new people in a new land, in a new way of life, knowing how to live. They would not have received the Ten Commandments as burdensome. Don't murder one another. Thank you. I went, I, I went hiking this last weekend and I kept thinking about what, what, what I would do if I brought my, my, my oldest child, my boy, up camping with me on the Appalachian Trail. One of the things I researched is whether I should bring a gun because you meet a bunch of random people on the trail and everything says people get nervous about people with guns. And I'm like, yeah, totally, that makes sense. But, but, but part of what's in my heart is I'm like, I want to protect my son though, right? I want to protect him. I don't want anybody to harm him. And, and if I'm in the wilderness with millions of people and I've got a family around me and we don't have food 
other than just the day's supply, and everybody's starting to share stuff now without any sort of governance in our sin, what I'm kind of worried about is our safety a little bit. And here God's saying, murder anybody. I actually think I'd receive that with grace and go, okay. A whole group of people who aren't murdering each other, that's a good start. A group of people who aren't lying to one another, I, I like that. A people who aren't coveting each other's stuff. I can trust that if I'm gone for a day, no guy's gonna try to sleep with my wife or steal her from me. Now, of course, if this is gonna work, I have to carry my part in all that too, right? Parents, knowing that their kids are not gonna go rebel on them because the life that God has asked them to live demands that kids respect and honor their parents. I think they would have not received it as burdens, but as freedom and a new way of life. But there's another thing in this verse. Look at how it begins. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It begins with a relational statement about who God is and who you are and what our relationship is like together. Do you know that when God gives his commands, he gives it already out of a relationship identity? He doesn't say, do all these things and then we'll talk about whether I want to be your God. Do this, don't do that, and then I'll make my decision whether or not you're going to get in or whether I'm going to love you or adopt you or something like this. He begins by telling us who he is, who we are. And out of that relationship and the new life in front of us, he says, here's how I want you to live. With utter security in who I already am. If you're, if you're thinking about commandments of God and you're wondering uh, about whether or not if you do or don't do them, if he'll love you or not, that's, that's not the way God issues commands. Here's who I am. I'm the God who's freed you. I brought you out of the slavery of sin and destruction. I've adopted you as my, my child. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you hear a voice of condemnation when I tell you what kind of life I want you to live, that's Satan and you can pray against that. When God issues commands, he's talking about a new way of life and he's honestly, he's always established himself in the relationship first. Always. If you love me, Jesus says, obey my commandments. And you see the order there? John in his letter, uh, the first John letter that we've been studying, he says at, at different points in the letter, we love because God first loved us. And if we love God, we, be, we, be, we obey his commands. This is the order of things, not obey God's command first. We'll talk about whether he loves you later or whether you love him later. I don't obey commands to get into the kingdom of God. I recognize God's love and delivery in my life. And in that freedom, my heart is melted with compassion for the God who would save me out of slavery for nothing that I have done other than the fact that he made me. Who else does that for me? Who else does that for you? And then he says, now because I have moved on to a new way of life, he says, here's some commands. I know in our language now, I know it still sounds stiff to me. I can't do away with it, though, because the word's there, and you're going to keep brushing up against it if you read it in the Bible. I hope you can learn how you can read it in a redeemed way. That God giving us commands is like a new way of life, how to live in this kingdom. But there, there's another reason i got to get to before we finish tonight. There's another reason his commands are not burdensome, and that's actually because his demands are lighter than the demands that the other gods we serve give us. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us, is serving some God or gods in our life. Every single one of us. All of us are saying to something in our life, give me worth. 
Give me, give me meaning. Give me purpose. Some idea, some person, some relationship, I don't know, some status. We look to these things and when we demand, we long for, we think if I just got it, if I just do it, if I just say it, if I just have this experience, then, 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 then I will have the worth that I desire. And this thing that we worship, it demands things of us, doesn't it? It demands that we say the right things, do the right things, don't do certain things. Let me just take a couple examples. I mean, I guess, I don't know. How, how, much, how much of your life do you have to give to be powerful? What are the demands upon you if you need to be powerful in life? And will you ever be powerful enough? Meaningful enough? What are the demands upon your life if you need to find security, if this is something you worship and you desire and you long to give you worth? What are the demands upon your life for security? And will you ever be secure enough or popular enough? On and on and on. What burdens are you carrying in your pursuit of those things? How heavy is the burden to be known and heard by other people? How heavy is the weight of just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life apart from God and other people? What kind of exhaustion is sitting just behind the door that I don't want to open because I'm afraid if I open it, I'm going to, be, I'm going to drown? How heavy are the burdens of all the other things that we worship in our life? Here's what Jesus has to say. We put Matthew chapter 11. It's a famous passage. It should be famous, y'all. You should, you should know this. If you've never heard it, listen. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's just a yoke's an agricultural term that's a piece of wood that would have gone across like two cows' shoulders. It would have been perfectly fit and harnessed just for their shoulders so that when, when one cow, when both cows sort of pull, they share the weight equally and it takes the stress off their shoulders. And Jesus is asking us to imagine that he's got one of these with this opening that's fit just for you. And that if you come up right beside him and you tuck your shoulders into this thing right next to him, he will lighten your load. He'll pull the weight with you. That's what he's saying, okay? Come to me, right? My yoke is easy. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take anger, which we looked at earlier. How heavy. If you can imagine just for a minute being really angry at, say, a roommate or a sibling or a parent or something like this, how heavy is the anger that we hold on to? How much does it eat at us? I once watched my father drive down the freeway. Um, we're going to the airport and this lady cut him off. Uh, we know because he sped up later to see who it was. Um, and, and she cut him off. And, and I'm pretty sure that within a matter of a minute or two, if at all, she was on with her day. But for the next 20 minutes or so, my dad was fuming in the car, fuming. And it was, it was so clear to me in that moment. I, I really, I made a decision. I'm never gonna get angry at people cutting me off again. I, I haven't. It's been a decade, close to. I honestly can say I haven't. Partly because I watched him lose utter control of his life and this woman who had nothing to do with him just absolutely dominated his existence for 20 minutes. And he could think of nothing else. He was so steamed. 
right? On and on about traffic things and what people ought to do. And we, we went through all these sorts of these rules for the road that make all this sense, you know, kind of thing. It was fascinating. Uh, but I kept just thinking, my gosh, man, she owns you. Let it go. Maybe she sinned against you and cutting you off, but now she owns you. And it's, it's so, so much of a big deal that it's actually going to be in a sermon at one point, which is really weird. Let it go, man. You know, like that's the, that's the kind of thing that this was weighing on him. How heavy is the anger we have? I can't share that story. Uh, there, <laughs> I was thinking of different things people are angry at. Um, but, but, but if you can imagine being angry at somebody, I just want to ask you, like if you could think of the last time your roommate or your sibling did something that made you mad, how heavy that weight is and how silly it is because they're probably off just doing their own thing. How exhausting is it to hold on to and how much lighter and less burdensome is it actually just to forgive? How much lighter is kindness than irritation? love than lust. For you men in the room who struggle with pornography, I want you to imagine what it would be like to live for a year without lusting after a woman. That might be, that might be a hard fight for some of you, but I want you to imagine whether or not you would actually feel burdened by that or if you would feel light at the end of a year. How much heavier is gratitude as envy than gratitude? Think about the weight that we carry sometimes because we get mad when other people get good things we don't. Or somebody, I did something a hundred times and never received that kind of blessing. This person does it once and they got it. And I envy and it eats at me and it gnaws at my soul. It's not rest for my soul, it's turmoil. And God's great command of loving others would demand that I forgive, that I show gratitude, that I love. It's, it actually is lighter Gratitude feels really good. There's once, I, I may have talked about this before in the last couple of years, I don't know. I just remember one time, because it was, it was so weird how, how perfect this story was, I had sinned against Kirsten, our associate director, in something I had said. I don't even remember what it was now. She might, but I don't remember what it was. But I had sinned against her, and, and I remember all day the next day thinking, I've got to apologize to her, and the only time I can talk to her is like right at dinner time, so I'm gonna miss some dinner with my family, but I gotta talk to her because if I don't, I'm just not gonna be able to sleep at night because I'm gonna be up thinking about this the whole time. And I was super nervous about it. And it was really weighing heavy on me. And when we sat down, it was actually really awkward for me because I think she was weirded out by why it was such a big deal for me. Uh, so she kind of like giggled and stuff, which really weirded me out. And, uh, and so then I had to say, I'm sorry for sinning against you, whatever. And, and I remember thinking this was going to be so intense and so heavy. And I'm not kidding. Word for word, this is what happened. This guy walks into the room. He's 70-something, 73, 74-year-old core group leader of ours. Walks into the room. Hadn't heard any of the specifics of what was going on. He just heard tone, right? He walked in and said, what's the sound of this levity? <laughs> okay, first of all, he's a nerd. Uh, second of all, I love that. Um, third of all, though, it's a perfect illustration for this, okay? So he, he literally heard a conversation about forgiveness, didn't know the words, but felt levity coming from the room. Levity just means lightness, right? I, I dreaded it. I thought it was gonna be so heavy. And somebody actually walked in and said, this sounds like levity. How much heavier are the burdens that you carry than what God would have us carry? Rest for our souls. This is what we experience when we obey the commands of God. Listen to this. One early Christian, uh, in the, a Christian in the, the fifth century uh, said this. He said, the weight of earthly masters gradually destroys the strength of their servants. 
The weight of earthly masters gradually destroys the strength of their servants, but the weight of Christ rather helps the one who bears it. You might be familiar with phrases from the scripture. He, God, God, our our Lord Jesus, he is our ever-present help. He's our strength and our shield. He's the author and perfecter of faith. The one who shows us who he is, offers his life for us, redeems us, and tells us who we are. This is the one who commands us, that one. If you love me, he says, if you love me, obey me. And for his friends, that line that comes out of John 14, he says, if you love me, obey me. For them, when he said it, it wasn't a burden for them. They were, they were sad he was going. And so in his leaving, he says, if you, if you love me, obey me. For, it was totally the opposite of a burden. They couldn't get enough. They wanted more. They would realize quite soon, after his death and resurrection and ascension, they would realize that the way to live in the world now as new people, with him not in their midst physically, but with the presence of the Spirit in their life, that they need to share the heart of the one that they love and to be with him together in the only way they know how, and that's to obey him, to love God and love others, to do the very things he said for his pleasure because we saw him do it and we want to be like him, also because it's how he makes himself known in the world. Beloved, if we love God, and let us obey him, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I, I gotta end just by talking about fear for a minute because some of us, I think, are so afraid You want to trust Jesus maybe, but you haven't. Perhaps you're still afraid. Perhaps the gods that you serve are whispering in your ear right now that you can't trust Jesus. If you let this go, you're going to get hurt again. If you stop fighting for this, who's going to fight for you? Nobody knows you. Nobody cares about you. The only way you're getting into heaven is through the back door with your head tucked down in the middle of a big line. That's not the voice of God. That's not the voice of God. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. He would not have you tuck your head down and get in the back of a line. (laughs) He would raise you up before all creation, shining like stars reigning over all the earth. Perhaps you know that your defenses, your armor, your weapons, your tactics, your usual methods of coping and escaping and defending and all these things, perhaps you know that they're not good enough but you say to yourself, it's better than nothing? Maybe. Jesus has come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest, rest for your souls. And I want to remind you of this, something Jesus told his friends once. I love this. He says to his friends, he says, listen to this. Fear not, little children, for it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the one who issues his commands. Fear not, little children, for it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, his pleasure to give you the kingdom, the king of this kingdom. You know, he says this. I mean, imagine this for a minute. The king raises his hands and he says, let my kingdom be full of people who love each other and love God. Do you really not want that kingdom? Do you not want to live in a world where where people love each other? Where we outdo one another in honor and we come under each other as servants of each other, lifting each other up? I stop looking out for my own needs and start looking out for yours. It will not happen unless we all do it together. And the king, King Jesus, he says, love God and love each other. This is what I want my kingdom to look like. This is the kingdom that it's God's good pleasure to give you. What a kingdom. 
Call that to your mind for just a minute. What it would look like to go home, to go to your rooms, to go to class, to, to work, to go out into the streets, to go anywhere and, and have people love each other. Fix that in your mind for a second and ask if it's actually desirable for you. And if you've gotten just a glimpse of the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, then fix your eyes upon him because he's the one who demands this. He's the one who empowers it. He's the one who says it. He's the one who inaugurates it. He's the one who will finish it and complete it. And he calls us to lift our drooping heads and strengthen our knees and run the race that's set out before us. Love God and love others. The race of humility and gentleness and kindness and lowly hearts. Everybody else can take the first seat at the table. I'll take the last. I know everybody in my room is, is complaining about dishes. I'll wash a couple extra dishes and I don't want to tell them even. I don't care. Jesus knows me. I know my mom is so codependent, holy cow, but, but some of that is because she's never found satisfaction in who she is. And I want to show her Jesus as a sister or a brother to her. I know I'm also my mother's son, but in Christ, I'm her brother as well. And by God, I can move toward her in love. I know there's this person that is, drives me insane. But rather than come against them in, in any kind of anger, I'm gonna let God be the judge and I'm instead just gonna be kind to them. Strengthen your knees and run that race. Jesus is the one who utters these commands. He is the one. Fix him before your eyes. His commands are not burdensome. They actually lighten our load because he helps carry them with us. If you've never thought about obeying Jesus, about following his commands, I encourage you to tonight. Think about whether or not you've ever actually said, Jesus, I wanna be like you and I'm going to intend from this day forward to follow you and obey you. Would you help me? Friends, brothers and sisters, like this is what it means to love God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I promise. Let's pray. Father, would you help, help us all to believe that obeying you with the help of Jesus and in his, in his spirit, your spirit, that following you and obeying you is actually possible tonight. That we can obey you with our thoughts and with our, with our mind, with our feelings, with our, our actions, with our deeds, our words. Give us a desire to do so. Help us to long for a kingdom where people are loving each other and loving you. Help us to come against the other kingdoms that we try to build. May your spirit um, convict all of us in this room with the question of whether or not we've ever wanted to follow you and, and if um, if we have, I pray that, that we would respond with gratitude for the fact that we've heard your call and that we are uh, stumbling, I'm sure, but moving toward you and that you are good enough to complete it. And you don't ask us to figure it all out tonight. You ask us to just get up and start walking. Your commandments are not burdensome, God. And I'm so, so thankful for that. 
May we all actually experience the life of that and the reality of that within the, the, the next 24 hours and this week and semester and year and the rest of our lives. May we look at the kingdoms of this world, the other gods that we serve that demand so much from us and may we be people whose cups overflow and we go, look, I don't have what you have, but I have resources to spare. Help us, God, help us to, to obey you, to follow you, and to believe, to believe that your burdens or your commandments are not burdensome. Help us to worship you now as the God who calls us into a life of love, to praise you with our minds and our hearts, and to, to obey your commands even now as we, um, we love you with our voices, and with our emotions, with our thoughts, with our hands, all these things. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen.